Today, we continue our sermon series we started at the beginning of this Lenten season that we're calling Promises. And today we're talking about promises made to a man that is referred to as the father of faith by um, the Muslims, the Jews, and also the Christians. And we're talking about Father Abraham. Now God chose this, um, this man, this uh, wandering Aramean, as the scripture calls this nomad, to, with his wife, focus on continuing a tradition of faithfulness to God that we're going to read about in the 17th chapter of Genesis. So nearly 2,000 years before the time of Jesus, God came to a man named Abraham in his old age and gave Abraham both a promise and purpose. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, God's promises and God's purposes for you and for me. You know, there's been a lot of talk in recent days about teachers. And personally, I love teachers. My mother was a teacher. Uh, my wife, Tammy's a teacher. There are lots of teachers in the room. And I read a story this week about a teacher that I want to share with you. She was a teacher who was nearing uh, the age of retirement. And uh, it, it reminded me of Sarah. You know, some people thought about this particular teacher that she really was kind of over the hill, that she didn't have much more that she could uh, really offer, especially anything new. And so one day she came to her classroom and she wanted to teach her, her, her students something that she herself had learned. And she said, um, I want us to talk today about the I can'ts. The I can'ts. And she said, I want us to make a list on the paper that you have before you of all of the I can'ts that you can think of. And, and then she, um, uh, she made her own list and she told the, te- the students what she, their teacher, was thinking about. She said, uh, I can't get all of the parents to their parent-teacher conferences. And, and I can't, she said, uh, get uh, Johnny to quit using his, his fists And start using his words. And she said, I I can't um, uh, find myself getting over to you all the things that I want to teach you. And then one little girl raised her hand and shared a little bit on her list. She said, I can't kick a soccer ball past second base. I guess they they played on on the baseball field. And she said, and I can't get Debbie to like me. And a little boy raised his hand. He wanted to share some on his list. He said, I can't do 10 push-ups. He said, I can't read very well. So the teacher told all of them to continue to write. And as they wrote for a few more minutes on their pieces of paper, uh, she presented a shoebox. And she said, I want all of you to fold your I can't list and bring it up here and put it in this shoebox where I'm placing mine. And she put hers in the shoebox. When all of the students had brought their I can't lists up, uh, then she said, we're going to go outside. And so she led this group of students outside as she carried a shovel with her. And they went to the corner of the playground and she instructed a couple of the boys to dig a hole in the ground deep enough to bury the box. And as that hole was dug and the box was placed in the hole, she said, now students, I want you to join hands. 
And I want you to bow your heads and I want you to listen to my eulogy. And then she said, Friends, we gather today to honor the memory of I can't. While he was with us on earth, he touched the lives of everyone, some more than others. Unfortunately, his name has been spoken in every public building, schools, city halls, state capitals, and yes, even the White House. We have provided I can't with a final resting place and a headstone that contains his epitaph. He is survived by his brothers and sisters. I can and I will and I'm going to do that right away. They are not as well known as uh, their famous relative and are certainly not as strong and as powerful yet. Perhaps someday with your help, they will make an even bigger mark on the world. May I can't rest in peace And may everyone present pick up their lives and move forward in his absence. Amen. Well, the students, they opened their eyes and they raised their heads and they looked around. And the teacher said, now, follow me back to the classroom where we're going to have a party. And so back they went to the classroom and there they had cookies and, and, uh, and punch and, and popcorn and everything was going, going swell. The teacher then presented that headstone that she had promised. And the headstone had I can't written on it and the date that I can't went into the ground. And she said, every time I hear I can't, I'm going to remind you by pointing to I can'ts tombstone. Now, when I read that, I thought, you know, isn't, isn't that exactly where Abraham and Sarah in this such important, this such an important story in our faith history finds itself with I, I can't always coming up, but Abraham making choices that led him beyond the I can'ts. Our story of Abraham is filled with potentially defeating I can't. And let's look at the way that Abraham faced um, uh, his faith and that first experience that he has when God is coming to him with the promise. And and God says to Abraham, I want you to leave your land, the land of her, which is is, um, uh, present day Iraq. And you can only imagine what Sarah said. You, You want us to go where? And, and how his friends and his parents and, and other relatives were saying, you, you can't leave us. You can't. But Abraham knew he had to. Abraham knew that God had made a promise to him and there was a purpose for him. And so Abraham followed what he believed was God's I will. And he left. And according to the text today that we're going to be reading, He told his friends and his family about a promise that he'd received when he was 75 years old. And that promise was a promise from God through strangers that said that he would be the father of a great nation, even in his latter days. No doubt he said, I can't at first. And and, and Sarah, of course, said, I certainly can't. And, And yet we know how that story continues. For nearly 25 years, there is Abraham still hoping against hope and and claiming that I will in the midst 
of the I can't. And after years of waiting in vain, we know how the story goes. Uh, when, when those strangers come and they uh, mention to, uh, to Abraham that he is truly going to be the father of a great nation um, and that he was going to have a, a child. We, we re- remember how Sarah laughed just outside the tent and then nine months later, guess what? A baby. And, and the baby was named Isaac, which means laughter. Which reminds us that we don't tell God, I can't, when we're following the I wills that lead us to a place of promise and a place of purpose. God always delivers. Now, I want us to turn in our scripture today to the 17th chapter of Genesis. We're going to just read a portion of this story since I'm kind of telling it. But let's stand for the reading of God's word. When Abraham was three years younger than Mr. Philgo, (laughs) the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will make you exceedingly numerous. And then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant from you. between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan for a perpetual holding and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. God speaks and we God's people are called to action. And that is displayed in this text so beautifully as Abraham, uh, in keeping with that tradition of his faithfulness, continues to follow what he believes is God's promise and God's purpose for him. You know, our biggest obstacle oftentimes is not just not listening and hearing God, but when we do hear God and when we do feel that tug on our hearts, oftentimes being too lazy or apathetic to pursue it or maybe fearful, or or anxious about where that pursuit might lead. Abraham followed the Lord's leading from the time that the Lord first called him to leave his homeland and to go on that wandering journey. And the Lord appeared to Abraham again, and the Lord affirmed the promise of long ago 
I will make you very fruitful, the scripture says. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. And of course, God kept his promise. And at 99 years of age, Sarah bore a son and from the son came countless um, heirs to Abraham and his physical descendants and his spiritual descendants and of whom we are also numbered. Now you just think about it. You think about all of the, nation, the nations of the world who, who count as their, their faith either Islam or Judaism or Christianity. And all three of these world religions, we're talking about billions and billions and billions of people through the years and presently today have counted Abraham as the father of their faith. You know, I think that it's worth us examining that God's promises and purposes are not individualistic. They're not just that promise for you and for me, but God's purpose and promises lead us into a journey with other people, a journey that, 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 that is larger than we could ever imagine or create. You know, I think it's important to see that, that, that Abraham's answering that call on his life and Sarah answering that call on her life leads to that place where, where they never envisioned it would be as God had said. And they never really saw it. For they died long before they could see the billions and the billions and the billions of people in nations after nations after nations come to count them as their spiritual parents. You know, God sometimes comes to us with, um, with a pronouncement and a promise that seems somewhat unlikely, in fact, maybe even impossible. You know, it's, it's when we, we see that aspect of God's nature and when we tie into that aspect of God's nature that we can see that truly if we're talking about our ability, if we're talking about what we bring to the table, it is impossible. If you're talking about what God wants to bring through us in God's promise that he will never recant, then what we see is God moving in a powerful, powerful way. And you know, sometimes God's promises come to us in the lowest of moments. You know, can you imagine what it was like for, for Abraham, 75 years of age, and Sarah, not too much younger, for them to hear this promise? in the midst of the pain of not being able to have children, and then 25 years later, still living with that promise that looks to be unfulfillable. In fact, we remember the side story of this, how Sarah wants to take matters into her own hands and has her handmaiden, Hagar, sleep with Abraham. And, and Ishmael was born, and the Arab nations arose from, from that birth. So sometimes we try to take matters into our hands. We give up on God when God continues to promise and continues to have us connected to that promise, even though it looks unlikely or even impossible. Now, many of us know the name now of the, last, the, the events of the last few weeks, the name Andrew Pollock. Andrew's daughter, Meadow, was one of the 17 children 
and teachers who were killed at Parkland um, at the school that um, is Stoneman Douglas there in, in, in Florida. And this happened on Valentine's Day, on Ash Wednesday. And, and, and just like Columbine has been in our memories as a school that, uh, that a tragedy happened and, and, and children lost their lives. Now, now we'll think of, of, of Stoneman Douglas in Parkland, Florida in much the same light. And Andrew Pollock, you, you have probably seen, if you didn't see his whole address, you've seen snippets of this address or you've seen him in an interview afterwards. But he had an audience with others, um, with our president, President Trump in the White House. It was a listening session that the president called. And the president listened to those who spoke up. And Mr. Pollock spoke with great uh, emotion and passion and anger and sadness. And, and, and his, his speech was striking. And yet out of that emotion came a very rational purpose. We might even say to him it was like a promise from God with a purpose from God that he was dedicating his life to in that moment. Now, just a few words that he said to get us all up to speed. He's here, he said, I'm here today because my daughter has no voice. She was murdered last week and she was taken from us, shot nine times on the third floor. And we as a country failed our children. Everyone has to come together and not think about different laws. We need to come together as a country, not different parties, and figure out how we can protect our schools. It is simple, it's not difficult. We protect airports, we protect concert stadiums and embassies. The Department of Education that I walked into today has a security guard in the elevator. How do you think that makes me feel? In the elevator, they have a security guard. I'm very angry that this has happened because it keeps happening. 9-11 happened once and we fixed it. How many schools, how many children have to get shot? It stops here with this administration and with me. I'm not going to sleep until it's fixed. We need our children safe. Work with the president. Fix the schools. That's it. No more discussion. You know, I heard this man interviewed this past week. Some days now since that passionate speech. And what I heard come out of his mouth was that I have a mission and it will be a lifetime mission. It is my purpose. He said, I have a power that I've never had before. I have a power that I can go anywhere and do anything because I have a purpose. And I'm going to speak. I've made my life, my mission, my purpose to make kids and schools safe. You know, I thought when he was talking, 
I, I believe this man. I believe his passion is more than just a fleeting moment. I, I believe him because I hear him speaking from maybe a promise from God, but I know a purpose that he may or may not know where it came from, but it came from somewhere deeper than just the death of his child. And and I think how many people have been moved and perhaps will be moved by this one man's I will and speaking out of promise and purpose. God sometimes redeems things that we think cannot be redeemable. And God always works to redeem those things that tend to want to destroy us. You know, there's another thing that we need to see about Abraham and Sarah. God's purposes are grander than our imaginations can envision. You and I think too small, just as did Abraham and Sarah. God imagines greater things for us, his people, than we imagine for ourselves. God's timetable is not like your timetable or my timetable. God's purposes are greater than our minds can imagine. Abraham and Sarah had dreams for their lives just like we have dreams for our lives. And and when Abraham heard that promise from God and he said, God said, I'm going to be the father of multitudes. He didn't have a clue as to what that would really mean. He was just faithful. He couldn't see into God's timetable of the billions and billions and billions of people who would point to Abraham's faith as the beginning of their faith, as their faith ancestor. He didn't have a clue of that. He couldn't see the grander purpose that God had in calling him and to be, to be a part of that, a very important part of that. And and my question to us is, how's God calling us into his purpose? And we don't have a clue as to how that ripple effect will play out. You and I think too small. And there may be a bigger purpose for the actions that God puts on your heart and on my heart. When we know it's God that's calling us to move, we don't know where that's going to go. But when we pursue it, that larger purpose unfolds. Way back in 1858, a Sunday school teacher in Chicago named Ezra Kimball became interested in the welfare of a young shoe salesman, a clerk in his hometown. Kimball started down toward the Holton's shoe store and, and wanted to talk to the young man who had waited on him just days before. And he, he walked around the block two times before he decided to go in. And then he, he went in and he, he called on this young shoe clerk to come forward. And, and he shared with him his testimony and the gospel. And the clerk came to faith through that testimony. And the clerk's name was Dwight 
L. Moody, the greatest evangelist of his time. Dwight L. Moody went on to preach a crusade in in England and, and, and spread the gospel literally all over the world. But it was this crusade in England in 1879 that awakened the heart of a man named Frederick B. Meyer a pastor then of a very small church. But Meyer became a renowned theologian. In fact, later Meyer was preaching in Moody's school in Massachusetts and a young man in the back row heard Meyer say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? Listen to that. If you're not willing to give everything up for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And those words transformed the ministry of a young man named J. Wilbur Chapman, who his ministry from that point on became an I will ministry. Chapman became a YMCA worker back when the YMCA was a religious institution with a real purpose for spreading the gospel among young people. And Chapman recruited to help him in his ministry a former professional baseball player. And this former professional baseball player became a great evangelist and his name was Billy Sunday. The greatest evangelist of his generation, some would say. And later at a revival in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, Billy Sunday uh, so excited a group of men that they decided to start a prayer group and a Bible study. And they met regularly. And the more they met, the more they wanted that, that revival experience for their community again. And so they agreed together and helped to fund uh, a man named Mordecai Ham an evangelist to come into their town and lead a revival meeting. And in the revival, a young man heard the gospel and made a profession of faith. And that young man's name was Billy Graham. Now, now do you think that that Sunday school teacher, 150 plus years prior, had any idea that the sharing of his testimony with a young shoe clerk would have the ripple effect of bringing millions and millions and millions of people to faith and into eternal significance. You know, a single action of I will when God is calling And when God is presenting the promise and the purpose can literally change the world. We never know when God is moving us what God will do with our simple acts of faithfulness and the purpose that it brings into our lives. Abraham and Sarah no doubt died happy and prosperous, but they didn't have a clue the billions and billions and billions of people that their lives influenced in faith. Who knows how many lives will be saved by the actions of a grieving father 
who counts it his life mission and purpose to share what he believes will make a difference in our nation for our kids. You know, this morning, inspired by Abraham and Sarah, I want to remind us that when God comes to us with a prompting, a promise, and we say, I will, God will reveal a purpose that will go in ways that we have never imagined or dreamed of. That may make a significant change in this world. And you may not think it can happen through you. And you need to change your mind. Because God moves in mysterious ways. And our response of faithfulness can change the world. Amen.